Welcome to Mental Health Conversations, a series of podcasts to help families and faith communities begin conversations on mental health. The goal of these podcasts is to provide education on mental health conditions, invite further conversations through discussion questions, and offer resources for follow-up. This podcast is produced by the Northeastern Minnesota Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America and is funded by a generous grant from the ELCA Disability Ministries, made possible through Always Being Made New, the campaign for the ELCA. The topic for today's podcast is grief, equipping family, friends, and ministry leaders. Welcome. My name is Joy Hensel. There's a wide range of loss that youth experience, from divorce, not getting into the school that they may have dreamed about, the death of a pet, ending of a relationship, losing a sense of security as this world gets more and more complicated, and the death of a loved one. These days, I've been appreciating a book called It's Okay That You're Not Okay, Meeting Grief and Loss in a Culture That Doesn't Understand by Megan Devine. She's a psychotherapist. And I really appreciate a quote of hers. It says, Your life and your grief are a work in progress. There's no need to be finished. There is no need to be perfect. There is only you and the story of the love and the loss that brought you here. Find ways to tell your story. Today we invite Anna and Elsa Madsen to share their story of love and of loss. Thank you so much for your willingness to be here today. Glad to be here. So could we begin by the two of you sharing a little bit about you? Elsa, do you want to start? I would love to. So I'm Elsa and I'm a junior in high school. Um, I'm 16. Um, Yeah. Are there things that you like Mm. to do or a little bit... Um, well, I love politics. In politics, yeah. Right. Um, I'm hoping to pursue a major in political science. Oh, excellent. I also love music. I love the outdoors. Mm. Love being up here in Duluth and nice. all the opportunities that it has. Yeah, and love spending time with family and friends. Wonderful. Thank you. And I get to be her mother. Um, So um, we've been up here in Two Harbors since 2016. We have a glorious spot with lots of woods, about Mm. 20 acres of forest. Um, Since we've been here, we've also um, added two dogs to our family, Gimli, um, named after the dwarf from (laughs) Lord of the Rings in Chutzpah. And chutzpah is um, a, a Yiddish word, okay. and it means audacity or sassy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does have chutzpah, but it's spelled with P-A-H at the end, and we think okay. we're clever because we spell it with P-A-W um, <laughs> at the end. The other important part of our family, of course, is Carl, and Carl is 18. Uh, and he'll be featured, I'm sure, um, throughout this conversation mm-hmm. as well. I'm an ELCA pastor, was ordained in 1996, um, served a small parish in South Dakota, mm-hmm. and then went on to get a PhD mm-hmm. in Regensburg, Germany, where we lived for five years in a beautiful, beautiful ancient town in the 
uh, tail end of that period, we lived in a tower that dated from 1215 on the top floor, which was just delicious. Not very far at all from the northernmost point of the Danube, so fond memories of those times. The PhD I received was in suffering specifically, uh, the theology of the cross, and where is God in the midst of angst, which ultimately ended up having more relevance than we'd um, appreciated at the time. Mm-hmm. Both Carl and Elsa were born over in Germany, which uh, is sort of a fun fact about yeah. each of these two yeah. incredible kids. I uh, came back over over here, uh, taught for a couple of years at a uh, at an ELCA college, but then ended up um, for a variety of reasons, which again we'll, I'm sure touch on as a freelance theologian. And so I've established a spot called OMG Center for Theological Conversation, where people can um, come to me with questions of theology or faith. Why do they believe what they believe? Um, what difference does it make? And since we've been up here, we've started uh, the Spent Dandelion Theological Retreat Center. So we welcome people to our, our uh, abode in a separate um, studio apartment where they can enjoy our woods and views of Lake Superior through the trees. So. What a gift to have that sacred space yeah. for people to come yeah. and visit and be and learn and listen. Yeah, we have, um, so I'm a nerd of the first order, so we have um, about 5,000 books people can peruse um, uh, during their time, during their stay there. But really, there's something about the land and the mm-hmm. lake and the and the woods of that place that are just restorative. And it's not just about our, our home. The whole North Shore offers, mm-hmm. I think, perspective and peace mm-hmm. um, in a powerfully unique way. And, and um, energy. And energy, absolutely. Yeah. So I will oftentimes say that people come and they're smiling when they come, but it's more taut than when they climb back into their car on their way to go home when they're actually kind of giddy. <laughs> it's beautiful. It is. Beautiful. It is, yes. And to have that space to come to. And again, say the name. Yes. The so the Spent Dandelion Theological Retreat Center. And there I also hold fort uh, with OMG Center for Theological Conversation. And, and individuals can come. And can do you also provide workshops or retreats? I do. I do group retreats about once a month. I haven't plotted them out for this next for this next year, but mostly my days are spent writing and thinking. I blog, Mm -hmm. and uh, and then when people are there, we have coffee or go on hikes to to help sort things out. So yeah, I I I am so happy uh, to be able to do the vocation I get to do. Well, thank you both, Elsa and Anna, for yeah. being here to get today again. Thank you for the invitation. And for being willing to teach and share your experiences on the topic of grief and loss. So could we start um, back in Germany, it mm-hmm. sounds like. Could we start at the beginning, and would you be willing to share share your experience with us? Right. Right. So we, um, we, namely my late husband, Bill, and I moved over there in 99. And originally we were going to be there for just four years, the duration of my dissertation work. But in the fourth year, we were invited to stay uh, for another year, essentially to just plan a party. And I'm not making it up. um, But the professor uh, under whom I worked, um, with whom I worked, had a a festive birthday, um, the sort of which the Germans thought was worth of a big celebration. And so it took oh, a year grand. to plan. Oh, yeah. yep. And so we invited all of his past students to contribute to what's called a Festschrift, an anthology of essays in his honor. Um, and somebody needed to order, of course, the beer kegs and mm-hmm. um, uh, along with the edits, which I tried not to do at the same time. <laughs> So 
So it was a month before we were to return uh, back over to the States. Um, at that point, Carl was just on the cusp of three, okay. and Elsa was only eight months old at that okay. time. So I brought her along to the last portion of the big party. Uh, that was in a town that was just a stretch away, about an hour, hour and a half or so away from where we lived in a town called Neuendettelsau. We lived in Regensburg, but the, the uh, festivities were, at that time were in Neuendettelsau. And Elsa was still nursing, um, so of course I had her along. And Carl was um, at three, really trying to help Bill pack. But on a fateful Saturday, I didn't get a phone call like I had anticipated, um, as was the norm. And I just knew that something was wrong. And so I bundled Elsa up um, and we hopped on several trains and raced home on train and bus and foot and rounded the corner. And there we saw the police cars where, as it turns out, actually um, a happy coincidence in a very unhappy moment, a colleague and he became a, a friend um, was on call um, as the chaplain for the oh, police really? department there. And, and he told me the news of the accident in which Bill had been killed and Carl had suffered a traumatic brain injury. They were crossing a street and a car hit them. And it really was, in the truest sense of the word, an accident. Mm -hmm. And so we raced up to the ICU to see Carl. Originally, mm -hmm. the prognosis was quite good, um, but then his brain began to swell. And things got more complicated. He ended up being in ICU for six weeks. During that period of time, he had countless surgeries, including the um, the removal of his skull and the freezing of his skull and the reinsertion of his skull to allow for that brain um, swelling to happen. And he also unfortunately contracted MRSA, which um, was dreadful. Okay. But we finally kind of pulled him out of that and then were transferred to another rehab center um, down in the Alps where we were for another six weeks. And when he was medically stable, we moved back over to the States where my late husband and Carl had actually gone with my parents' help to, uh, to buy a home. So we had at least a house ready for us. And so we, uh, we kind of cobbled together some furniture. Uh, my parents... Um, we were right on the verge of trying to figure out where they were going to retire and um, ended up moving from Michigan to be with us in South Dakota. So the first 12 weeks after you've, you've talked with the chaplain, you found out that Bill had, had been died, killed. Yeah. And, and so those first 12 weeks you were in the hospital. More or less. And hospitals right, around. Right, right. ICU for six and then a rehab center um, for another six. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we had to let go of our lease anyway because okay. we were in the process of moving. So Bill had um, gotten much of that organization taken care of to get all of our belongings, which mm -hmm. you know had we'd accrued some things over the course of those five years. Um, fortunately, he'd gotten much of it taken care of before the accident, and and yeah. So when so things stabled, really we yeah. yeah, it was focused on details. It sounds. I mean, grief didn't. Yeah. So, so how how do you experience grief yeah. in the midst of all these other pieces that are going on? Yeah. And and your focus of just caring for your eight month old and caring for your three year old. Yeah. And it's a good question. Actually, my uh, dear friend, her husband, asked me probably about five or so, maybe six months after the accident, um, said, uh, "Do you think when things finally settle down mm. and you have time to grieve, it will be too late?" Which was such a oh. haunting question. Yeah. Um, but it's at some level proven to be true related to my late husband that there just wasn't I remember actually the moment that my colleague told me about the accident uh, I remember 
remember there being almost this um, door that I just pushed to the side about my husband because there was nothing I could do to save him. But it was at that point really all about Carl and how do I keep Carl in the land of the living and then this little girl in this little tiny thing, um, how do I protect her in this swirl of, of um, yeah, just tremendous chaos. loss and chaos, yeah. right? And so that was indeed um, an, an element, how how do I grieve? Um, I was just mentioning to somebody, they were having a, a massage, and I've only had one massage in my mm. life, and it was mm. one foisted on me with the best of intentions okay. after I returned. And I hated every moment of it, um, because it was the first moment that I had nothing to do but to sit and think. Yeah. Yes. Gosh. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it, it was indeed chaotic, um, but it also, in a sense, was helpful because I could focus on what needed to be to get done, done mm-hmm. right? And that did that did help. So you had the tasks. Yeah. You know, that this is what I have to do now. Yeah. And then... Well, and then I had this little hour. girl, right, right um, who was eight months old and relatively oblivious to all that was going around her. And she needed to be nursed and needed to be played with and laughed with. And I mean, in fact, she was such a charmer that the <laughs> head of the ER or the ICU um, actually had a meeting with all of the nurses in his station and um, said, look, I know that Elsa is inspiring and um, addictive as a baby, but you may not all get pregnant at the same time because I'll lose my whole staff. And so she really was a huge presence of joy, which was a reminder of hope. Like she, I've said that both Coral and Elsa have taught me the art of joyful defiance, that there has to be some reason to let those legs swing out of the bed because... If I if I if there isn't a reason, I let death win again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by being subsumed by despair, and um, and so one other quick piece about yeah. that as part of the funeral service for my husband over in Germany, we sang so in had, German. So you planned that in Germany, and it, had that sort of. Yeah, he had two. So he had a service in Germany and then another one at Trinity Seminary where we had met in Ohio for his, for all of our stateside friends and family. And so you were planning that amidst hospital time and caring for you. Yeah, fortunately we had, um, yeah, it was kind of handy to be a Lutheran pastor at Mm -hmm. that point because there were so many people who could just take care of it and I knew that they would do it well but I was invited to pick out some hymns and my late husband's favorite was A Mighty Fortress mm-hmm. and so there we were singing in German in Germany A Mighty Fortress and there was this line um, in the fourth verse um, though the devil may take a good honor child or spouse mm-hmm. and I I just elbowed my father sitting mm-hmm. next to me and I said the devil may think that he's won, but he's just really pissed me off. And that, that has been a, a piece mm. of it because I refuse to grant despair mm. more power than it's already wielded, which doesn't mean that we in our family by any means ignore grief. Mm. We're not Pollyanna-ish by any means, but we also know that joy is one way of coping with grief, that God is a God of joy and delight. And so we lean into that and yield to that as often as possible. In those early days, it sounds like there were many tasks that that needed to be accomplished. Mm -hmm. So you're in the hospital, you're taking care of Elsa, you're planning a funeral. 
in those early days, how did people show up for you in Germany or in the and in the states as you returned? So, in the midst of tragedy or not, I am many things, but detail oriented is not one of them. And so there were a variety of people already fully aware of that, and mm -hmm. so they stepped in to take care of many details that were just overwhelming. And um, even yet today, I am fully aware that there are many things that in a different life I could do, but there are only certain things that only I can do. And so to mm -hmm. learn the grace of finitude mm. and to um, to recognize my need for help, for mm -hmm. extending myself and um, to invite that help. I think, um, to be honest, one of the most powerful things that people did was to bring, when we returned um, to the States, they had lined up a food mm -hmm. train. Sure, yeah basically. And so they brought really good food initially for, I think, a handful of months. And and as Elsa and I were just talking about it last night, as a matter of fact, it wasn't just a hot dish in a pan. It was three hours in a pan, right? That I didn't need to think about going to the grocery or cooking or... Uh, waiting for it to be done or uh, cleaning up because there it was. And so that food was really the word for the Greek word for salvation is soteria and it means health, healing, and wholeness. And it was basically mm -hmm. salvation in a hot dish okay. right there. It was everything that I needed. I think one of the things that people didn't realize, and mm -hmm. I'm sure I didn't realize prior to the accident, is how extended that need was. Mm -hmm. um, and so we could have really benefited with having that sort of arrangement for mm -hmm. a good year. <laughs> Right. And that was complicated, too, by the fact that it was very difficult to go grocery shopping with a uh -huh. wheelchair and a, um, yeah. and a grocery cart and an infant. Um, so even to pile up the kids in a Harley Davidson pull wagon, and I kind of propped Carl up and plunked okay. Elsa in Carl's lap, and then we, we made our way to the grocery store and sort of mounted the groceries around them. But, but, but to have those kinds of practical things. Well, and I appreciate these, helpfully, yeah, helpfully. and I, I appreciate that you that you share that, all, that for a year that would have been. Oh helpful. my goodness, yeah. Did you encounter people who, after you know, a few weeks or a few months, it was like, oh, have you are, have you moved on from your grief? I mean, did you encounter any of those uh, unhelpful things? Or I mean, grief is is not a topic that all people are comfortable mm -hmm. with asking about her or talking about her let's be even feeling grief right. and loss is hard we don't might want to stay away from those feelings and even though people do the, the best that they can at responding or showing up when when people have experienced a death sometimes there are responses or actions that are not necessarily as helpful as others did you ever encounter any pieces that were really unhelpful that you are willing to share or continue to encounter that are not very helpful? So maybe a couple. I think um, one of the things was that when I did request some assistance from a congregation mm -hmm. that we had finally been able to go to, um, I, and I mean that simply because it was so difficult to right. kind of get out of the house, we'd asked whether or not people could come and just mm -hmm. watch, we, my mama mm -hmm. and I, whether we could have some assistance just watching Carl and Elsa. Because um, there's the loss even in mobility. 
Yeah. I mean, in getting places easily, like the grocery store or church or those places that might have been simple at one time, that that was not as accessible. No, 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 no. Yeah, and then they so they would come and they came for a couple of weeks, but then um, I could kind of tell that there was a little bit of I don't know if the word is disgruntlement, but I asked them pointedly about it, and the response is, "Well, you just you you and your mom just sit and all you do is have coffee." <laughs> that coffee was again such a gift for us right. to to breathe, right? Yeah. And so, so I think part of it was that people didn't understand the persistence of the persistence of grief or how grief manifests itself in so many other ways, like mm-hmm. being overwhelmed right. or exhaustion yes. or, yeah. Of, of, it's of, constant. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not even in sleep. It doesn't go away when we wake up in the middle. You know, right. Right, right. So that was that was one piece that was, um, I think, a, a, a newsflash for me. Mm-hmm. Another piece was going to church, and people didn't mean to do this, mm-hmm. but I went to church hoping to find some hope. Mm-hmm. But I was so struck by how many, um, even in these Lutheran congregations, mm-hmm. how many imperatives there were, like uh-huh. believe, trust, hope, uh, pray, and all of those take energy to do, which is precisely what somebody grieving doesn't have to do. Right. And I left feeling so exhausted um, because I didn't, I didn't have the wherewithal to be able to do any of those. And I, I was, I was reminded often of um, an, a late Episcopalian author, a, a character he was. Mm-hmm. His name was Robert Farrar Capon, who who really began even before the accident to teach me about how you don't need to be six foot under to be dead. Mm -hmm. There are all sorts of different ways that one can experience death, but that the only verb that dead people can do is to be dead. That's it. Mm -hmm. And that what dead people need is to be breathed into. And which was really a a helpful resource for me to, to think about is that I, I needed to be resurrected and I can't do that from within. And so I needed other people to do it, but even to ask for that, particularly Mm -hmm. in that first to recognize it, let alone to ask it was, was really, was really kind of rough to, to do. Um, yeah. And that's hard when that's placed on you in your time, in your timing, to find those people to breathe into. Yeah, right. So what was that process like? Were there specific, not to name names, but just people or experiences that that did breathe that, that life into your Interestingly, the people who ended up helping me at least initially kind of get out of that were um were two groups of people family who mm-hmm. n- with whom we could share some irreverent um right. responses to oh, that yeah yeah absolutely and then also people who ironically didn't have empathy which seems a little bit weird but i had been so um overwhelmed with there's a, a fine line between compassion and pity Mm. But I knew that I'd kind of arrived when I wasn't anymore the, um, well, at least, you know, I might have it bad, but at least I don't have it as bad as Anna, right? And so so to to have this constant, like when I walked into the room, this, oh, right? And so people who reminded me that I was more than trauma, um, that was really helpful because I sometimes had forgotten that I was more than trauma. But the, the 
the piece so the of, people who lit up when you walked into the room. Yeah, or didn't even were, notice. Like uh, just, I mean, the, yeah. the people oh, who yeah, just raised. Just, yeah. It, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> or who asked me, you know, how's that paper coming? Right. Or whatever, right? Something else. Something entirely, mm-hmm. entirely mm-hmm. different that was incredibly Un- helpful. Normal. I, I mean, I, yeah. suppose, I mean, ordinary. Maybe the better word is ordinary. ordinary. Just an ordinary question absolutely what you're doing well and i think also broken people get broken people Mm -hmm. um and so the people i found to be most difficult were those who had neither been touched by trauma Mm -hmm. or who couldn't understand choices they were making that in retrospect were poor um but but ladled judgment as opposed Mm -hmm. to compassion or patience mm-hmm. unaware of their own brokenness because mm-hmm. they hadn't had an opportunity which is probably the wrong word um to experience it elsa has always been incredibly astute and when she was five she said mama i've been thinking about parenting lately <laughs> and it's dawned on me she said that um that when you have children it's like you move to a different country and um uh-huh. you can go back and you can visit that other country where you used to live with those people who used to be your neighbors when you didn't have uh-huh. children and they didn't either but when you have children you move to this new country where everything is different and your old friends can come and visit you but they can't live in your new country mm-hmm. until they have children if they choose to so mm-hmm. it, it, it's so important yeah <laughs> So it isn't better or worse. It's just fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. And that metaphor is so true about parenting, but it's also been a profoundly helpful analogy for suffering Mm -hmm. because since the accident, our family has moved or been forced to move Mm -hmm. into a different country. And there are different regions of suffering, different dialects, different Mm -hmm. mores, but suffering people understand suffering people Mm -hmm. and it's most difficult to be with people who don't know it in the you know in that Mm -hmm. biblical sense that that hebrew word yada to know something Mm -hmm. deeply because they they don't have a framework for understanding that as elsa and i talk about we have work permits in our for our former country right Mm -hmm. visitors permits Mm -hmm. but our passports have changed our citizenship has changed we're in a different country now Elsa, I want to draw you in. I mean, you were eight months old Mm -hmm. when this initial accident occurred. So when I say, oh, share share your experience with grief and loss, what comes to mind? I mean, tell me about what you think about and where you're at. And when I ask that question, um, what surfaces for you? Well, so because it happened when I was so young... I didn't have that moment of everything mm-hmm. changing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always kind of, you know, it changed and it was always this constant. But yet there are still, it's it's still definitely there. Mm-hmm. And there will be reminders and, you know, some days will be worse than others. But, but there wasn't that moment um, that everything changed. Yeah. And so as you grew up, it was normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that make, or... It was, um, it was a constant. It was still, you know, I knew from a young age that it wasn't, um, you know, talking to friends that it, right. Something was different, but it was, it was there in my life. Do you remember, and it might've been young at a young age, this, this concept of being sad or grieving or that, that there is this change in my family 
And I mean, do you remember feeling sad about that? You know, like I'd mentioned, um, there are definitely times where you'll see something or you'll hear something and it's, it's just this reminder. Sure. But I don't remember being perpetually sad sure. at any point. But um, I do remember, you know, times where somebody would say something and it would it would hit me differently than it would hit other people right. um, because do, of that new experience. Do you encounter or have you encountered even possibly hurtful things that people have said to you about your experience in grief? Yeah, I think a lot of the times it's not stuff that people would say. Um, it's not anything people say pointedly because okay. of that, but more things that they just say not thinking yeah. about it mm-hmm. or um, say thinking it's helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. When you would pose the question earlier about things that people did that weren't right. helpful weren't at that time. Right. Mom and I were kind of talking about it last night. Um, things like, you know, they're in a better place mm-hmm. or God uh-huh. has a plan uh-huh. or the song soon and very soon, that those things uh-huh. are incredibly hurtful and they're not meant to be. But like the, you know, they're in a better place. There's this feeling of like, but I'm still here mm-hmm. and that doesn't make it different for me and what I'm going through. Or this, you know, God has a plan. That one mm-hmm. is really like... Yeah. You know, okay, so God's mm-hmm. up there like, hey, you know, we don't really need this person anymore. Let's pull them out. That that's not how God works. Right. Yeah, and so there are definitely things that people say inadvertently mm-hmm. that incredibly change your your mood. So in your experiences, when people say things like that, because people don't mean to, but they, they think they're being helpful again. And those, as we are saying, those things are not, those phrases are not helpful. Mm-hmm. Have you responded or do you just let that roll? I mean, what have you found to be helpful? Is it helpful to say something to respond? Is it easier to just be like, oh, we're just going to move on? And and you're both laughing and smiling. So I know that there's some experience here. So it depends, I think, on yes. the person and on the context. Sure, of course, absolutely. Um, Elsa and I both know that we have hackles that bristle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably what we were both recognizing <laughs> in each other. <laughs> Having the PhD in suffering yes. that happened in Germany where so much suffering occurred, mm-hmm. so much of the theology of mm-hmm. suffering mm-hmm. happened out of the experience of the Holocaust. Right. And one phrase that just never, ever has left me, I'm sure I think about it just about once a day even, mm-hmm. was from a Jewish rabbi who said that whatever you say about God has to be said in Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And if you can't say it in Auschwitz with the dust, uh, the ashes of Jews on your shoulders, then shut up, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. th- that has been really informative for me when people say "Does God uh, uh, that God has a plan. Mm-hmm. Because you can't not say that in Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. There's no way with any integrity to be mm-hmm. able to do that. So through the work that I do when I do presentations, I every single time will make a point of really challenging this notion of mm-hmm. God having a plan and instead talk about mm-hmm. God having an agenda or God having that. a vision, mm-hmm. right? Which means that there are some things that are inconsistent with God's vision but still occur. But then to think about resurrection, and maybe you can talk about the spent dandelion is one way of, because you came up with the name. Yeah, so we, um, we've always loved dandelions in general, um, and always hated it when people would, you know, take them out um, because they were weeds, and especially when they, and so, yeah, we've loved them when they are flowers, but then this 
you know, when they when they have died and they turn into this, you know, like the seeds mm-hmm. and they're fluffy and really beautiful. Yeah. That even out of the death that's occurred there mm-hmm. comes a new something new that's 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 beautiful um and that's not to say that there isn't suffering and loss and um and grief but that it that the flower still manages to persist yeah it reminds me of the wendell berry poem do you know oh, the, the yes. seed is in the ground oh yes may we rest in hope as darkness. precisely the same thing yeah. Well, and I think another piece, too, related to that is that one of the temptations, mm-hmm. the, the more malevolent mm-hmm. temptations, I think, that happened after the accident was the what if. Like, oh. what if they oh. had missed that bus? Um, I, we think that Carl had burned his, I know that he had burned his thumb the night before. We think that maybe Bill was taking him to the pediatrician to get his thumb checked out. Mm-hmm. And so what if Carl hadn't burned his thumb? Um, what if, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I wrote a blog called On the Eve of Grief of Joy of the Utterly Ordinary or something mm-hmm. like that and and spoke about how how the, the temptation was initially to always make it uh, a better world, a better universe, a better reality of ours mm-hmm. if the accident hadn't happened, right? Because mm-hmm. if the accident hadn't happened, then Carl would be running around. Uh, he'd be applying to colleges right now. Mm-hmm. He'd be, and Bill would have found his dream job. He wanted to be a camp director. He would have, right? All of these wonderful things would have happened. But it finally clicked, I have no idea. I I have no idea what would have happened, right? And in point of fact, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. Mm-hmm. I all I know is what I have in the moment. That's it. And so that has really helped, I think, us think about grief and loss. That um, we can spend our time mourning what we lost Mm -hmm. but the other piece of it that's kind of paradoxical but super luther Mm -hmm. theology of the Mm -hmm. crossy is that out of it came some splendid things Mm. like we get to live on the north shore of minnesota (laughs) right um i get to spend more time with my children because i'm freelancing right and so a long litany of things that would never have happened had the accident not happened which is again not to say that god therefore caused the accident but that out of it Mm -hmm. god breathed possibilities of new life and that kind of moves me to this my next question about how your grief story and 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 this experience continues to to shape who you're becoming and your understanding of god i think one of the more helpful things that was said to me was that god understands your grief more deeply than do you Which wasn't meant in a patronizing way, but that oh. rather that God was weeping like with a me. Deep breath way, absolutely, right? absolutely. The other thing that happened was um, I remember one terribly painful night when my mama was sleeping with Carl and I was sleeping with Elsa Girl, mm-hmm. and the the despair just was overwhelming. And I mm-hmm. stood up in the dark and I wept, and I found myself saying crying out actually um how long oh lord how long and as soon as i said it i thought wait a minute i've heard that before (laughs) and so it was this sort of illumination of um apocalyptic which had never made sense to me before Mm -hmm. but 
But now it does, right? Because when you have this wrenching experience of trauma, Mm -hmm. everything is psychedelic. Everything is intense and overwhelming. And yet still they cried out, Mm -hmm. right? And in trust that there would be an answer, right? So I think part of my vision of God has been that, um, that God, I think unfortunately so often we think about God in terms of what happens after we croak Mm. and i think that the accident really helped me understand that in every single moment god is inviting us into god's vision and that god is resisting um, and inviting us to resist every moment where we see death creeping Mm. in or harm to others the least of these creeping in that we are called to be as I used to say, ambassadors of hope. Mm-hmm. But that was until a certain politician arrived in Duluth some time ago, and mm-hmm. Elsa and I showed up with with placards, and as Elsa hopped out of the car with protest placards, and as Elsa popped out of the car, she said, Mama, do you know what we are? And I said, no, honey. And she said, ambassadors of hope. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's it, is that... We've come to appreciate that there's so many people who are grieving and despairing, mm-hmm. just like we didn't know is possible before mm-hmm. the accident. And now we have a solidarity with them because we know that God is in the midst of their suffering, just as God was in the midst of ours, mm-hmm. and God rejects it. Mm-hmm. And that we're called to do that, too. Mm-hmm. Well, following up to that, insightful. <laughs> 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 You know, I think for me, going back to kind of this God has a plan thing and knowing that God is always there Mm -hmm. and that that doesn't mean that it's not okay to, um, you know, get really mad at God sometimes and be like, what the heaven were you thinking? Um, But this underlying knowledge that God doesn't cause suffering and that, in fact, God is there with us when we are going through that. Right. Thank you. Also, what do you hope for parents or caring adults working or volunteering in churches, what would you hope that they would know when they are giving care to a youth who's experiencing some type of loss and grief? Mm-hmm. So several things. Um, Mom kind of touched on this earlier when she was talking about the people who were, you know, kind of oblivious and mm-hmm. that when you are suffering, you always kind of feel like there is this, you know, giant like finger pointing at you like, hey, like this person oh, yeah. is. And so knowing that sometimes it's not about, you know, it's it's about knowing that it's there, but it sometimes it's just being a place for that person to come, but mm-hmm. not necessarily forcing that conversation that it can just be, you know, saying, hey, like, do you want to come? I don't know, play this game of dodgeball with us. So um, a parent or adult, they don't have to fix it. They don't no. have to answer all the questions. That, okay. Yeah, and, you know, those questions will arise, and there will be times that that conversation will happen. Okay. And that's that's good to help work through um, what's happening, but that it's okay to not talk about it all the time. And to um, do something fun together, it right. sounds like, or just... Yeah. Go on a walk or mm-hmm. hang out or... Or even if it's just, like, sitting quietly together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just having that um, that ability to talk about it, but not having the necessity to talk about it. And there's a comfortability when we can mm-hmm. be 
um, authentically ourselves snuggled up on the couch reading books, but not having to engage, you know, not yeah. having to talk, but mm-hmm. we just know that, that we can be together yeah. and, and that there's healing or goodness and beauty coming mm-hmm. out of those times as well. Yeah. What about for other youth mm-hmm. when at school, for example, a good friend's broken up with a a boyfriend or girlfriend or didn't get on the sports team that they'd worked so hard to get onto. And in in those situations Mm -hmm. of loss per se, as a peer, are there any pointers or thoughts you have for, for when friends are trying to help other friends go through those times of sadness or? Yeah. You know, being there for them, asking them how they're doing and phrasing it in a way that it's not, you know, are you okay? Because uh, the answer is going to be like, no, I'm not, I'm not okay. But just, you know, how, how are you doing? More open-ended question. Yeah. Know. Yeah. And then, and then letting them talk and not having a, not having a plan of how you want it to go, <laughs> but just letting them go and then helping or contributing along the way. So really, truly actively listening, listening. instead of thinking about what they're right. going to say next. Right, or... yeah, not trying to, like, plan, mm-hmm. like, hey, that'd be a really great thing. <laughs> right. um, but just being there and being willing to go where the conversation goes. Anna, as, as a parent, what would you hope or want parents to know? Do you have encouragements or words of wisdom that when their youth are experiencing the throes of grief, how can they be helpful? How can they mm-hmm. be present, building off from what Elsa has said already? Yeah. So a few thoughts. One, uh, to allow the uh, mm-hmm. the child to set that agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, we have talked, um, we, we um, have really come to appreciate this notion of love languages, that different oh, people yeah. appreciate different expressions of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for Elsa, a love language is to go have coffee and read a book, right, <laughs> together, for yeah. example, um, or for the two of us to curl up on a couch and watch some mm-hmm. kind of whatever but uh, but for Carl, it's play and um, and and engagement. So to allow a person who's grieving to determine what how you are present, um, terms. it's so, not yeah. yours. It's their mm-hmm. it's their terms. I think also there is unfortunately a tradition within our Christian church of being very uncomfortable with people who grieve. In fact, in the old LBW, all the lament psalms, psalms were taken out. And so there's discomfort for that. With that, I think that is, even though they were put back in, which is wonderful, but still I think that there is this deep concern that if we grieve, we might um, doubt. And if we might doubt, we might disbelieve. And if we disbelieve and then die, well, then what? Really ultimately not trusting in the grace of God. And so to not be afraid or fearful or judgmental mental of mm-hmm. people who have really legitimate reasons as Elsa said to mm-hmm. be angry at God mm-hmm. because in trauma does m- mess up God like yeah. uh-huh. we we there are good reasons to quibble with the notion of God being omnipotent but mm-hmm. you kind of expect that God means something and it ought mm-hmm. to have something to do with power doesn't it mm-hmm. and so where was god in that right and so to allow the tension of that i think is important and allow the questions and allow the questions without yeah. answers without necessarily <laughs> answers but mm-hmm. sometimes just the response of presence i think mm-hmm. is really important 
My late husband, I was telling Elsa, I met him actually because he's at, at seminary and our dorm rooms were right next to one another and they were paper thin <laughs> and I could hear him swearing like a sailor. Oh. Because he couldn't get his computer to talk to his printer. And I, frankly, was so relieved because I was very concerned that everybody would be fuddy-duddies at the seminary. So to hear that, I just loved him even before I figured out who he was. But that said, it became a little bit of a point of contention in our marriage because I felt like sometimes he used language that was unnecessarily colorful for whatever it was. But I tell you what, after the accident... I learned how to do it. And that there is some there are some events or occasions or experiences where only certain words mm. do, mm-hmm. right? That they only deserve certain words. Mm-hmm. And so to and allow in that. there is a, absolutely. So he said he he had uh, um, three words that he said, which I won't repeat here, but he said them in quick succession. And my mother and I learned to do that, too, until Elsa and Carl got to be old enough to be able to um, understand those yes. words, in which case then we abbreviated them only to find that the town in which we lived, the aeronautical symbols were exactly the oh. same letters and so that I still have the aeronautical symbol right um, um, at the ready but I think the other part is that it was helpful that the kids knew German and so I let them have a German swear word gave them permission for that and so I think to provide event, which is another thing that we talk about, that um, whenever one is feeling stressed, look for the vent, because there's always a vent. And it can be either a, you know, a steam vent where you can release the stress, Mm -hmm. or it can be an escape vent. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes when we're feeling overwhelmed, it's because we feel trapped. Mm -hmm. And so where's the vent? Mm -hmm. And maybe even to be alert to where the vent is before somebody else can perceive it. But just to ask the question, I bet there's a vent, which isn't to say, I mean, you need one, like Mm -hmm. it's legit, but, but where's the vent? Cause Mm -hmm. there is, well, really hope. I mean, that's what a vent is, is hope. And even if they never use it to know that you have that possibility Mm -hmm. and that you can use it, even that is, um, is helpful. Mm -hmm. And to get to that place, that means there's this communication happening. So there's an understanding of where people are at and then this permission to know that I I know what tools I can use if I need them yeah. when I'm feeling a certain way or which, if I need to release a certain feeling. Which I think is one of the many reasons why um, community is so key mm-hmm. because none of us know, even at this table, mm-hmm. we don't know whether we'll make it home mm-hmm. safely and we don't mm-hmm. know whether those in our lives whom we knew were fine an hour ago are still fine. We don't know. But we do know that at some point or another, we need community. Mm -hmm. And so this is one of the incredible opportunities that I think that congregations have, namely to foster um, a a culture of presence Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't just just spring up. Mm -hmm. But even I've I've wondered, you know, what would happen if a congregation, I mean, we have obviously food shelves and so forth for people in need, and that's amazing. But what would happen... There was a woman in our congregation who busted her ankle. Mm-hmm. Well, 
I bet she needs food, right? Right. <laughs> right? And so what would happen if we just had a habit in congregations of having frozen food at the ready, no questions asked? So, And it doesn't have to be asked because nope. in the midst of that time. You don't even have the energy. Right. Nope, right. nope. But to just know or, or that you have um, a community that is ready if you need a ride or if your car breaks down because that's what it is mm-hmm. to be people of God. Like what did Jesus do? It's part of what irritates me about the creed is that we skip over Jesus's mm-hmm. life every single blame Sunday. I'll okay. oftentimes joke that Jesus leapt from Mary's arms straight into Pontius Pilate's, but we miss this opportunity to name everything that Jesus did while he walked the earth, mm-hmm. healed, fed, mm-hmm. gave hope, taught, railed against unrighteous authorities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, welcomed. And that's what we're called. Like if we're audacious enough to identify ourselves as Christians, as Christians, we're audacious enough to say, yeah, we too do that. So to just kind of preemptively be that so that when, not if, so but there is when a traumatic loss, there's right. We can just show up know. in those ways and they can be that tangible. Yep. Exactly. Making a meal. Are there other pieces that you would share or specific words that you would share for those specifically working with within the church as volunteers or as as ministry leaders of other specific pieces that they can do or or be when there is traumatic loss in particular the healing texts really hurt Mm. they hurt interesting they really were painful Right. And as a preacher prior to the accident, I always looked at those as being just incredible testimonies to God. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, oh, yeah. Like I'd skip. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because yeah. I would be like, ah, oh, but right. here right. it's still an even so, right? So I think to be aware mm. that texts that are meant to give hope might not to those who have no reason to hope. Right. I think that's huge. So that, yeah. Yeah, that I think would be really a a really powerful thing. Mm -hmm. But, but our congregation here at Gloria Day Lutheran in Duluth has been ridiculously abundant in their generous attention to our family's needs because of Carl. Mm -hmm. So they have seen things that they hadn't seen before, Mm -hmm. which is not meant as a knock. I didn't know what life was like with a wheelchair before either, right? But, but seeing Carl, they now have cut pews. Um, so mm-hmm. that there's room for us coffee uh, uh, coffee hour tables have a sign you know reserved mm-hmm. for Carl or others with accessibility issues so so those are great and simple ways oh, yeah. that congregations can be nurturing encouraging uh, helpful simply yeah. helpful and, and and welcoming yeah you know and welcoming absolutely <laughs> and to perceive how it, so it Carl's um, needs are are clear, but what are other people's needs Uh that might be less obvious, less Mm -hmm. manifest and how can we be Jesus to them? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's, that's the question. How can we be Jesus to people? Are there other uh, grief resources per se, specifically focused on grief or loss that have been, or that are helpful to the two of you that you found or that you're aware of that that could be helpful to other family members or individuals, ministry leaders, volunteers, or things that you can even think of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, ha- I people have given me a lot of books, uh, um, 
which were I haven't. Helpful? No, not yeah, at all. Okay. But they, I mean, I appreciate. I wasn't upset about it. Right, right? I didn't. Right. I, I know that they. But no, I just. And that was partly because I was. I already had my own grief. I didn't need mm-hmm. to dive into somebody mm-hmm. else's okay. grief to okay. right? that I um but I appreciated the intent and I appreciate that for some people it's very helpful, but maybe to just be alert that people don't need grief to compound grief. Mm-hmm. But the intent was I think very much to say you're not alone. So okay. to recognize that there are a couple of you're different not. ways mm-hmm. to to think about mm-hmm. about that. And you've addressed that in, in the texts yeah. and, and in being aware of even language mm-hmm. and how people ask questions yeah. and encouraging thoughtfulness sometimes and a pause before we speak. But I think also to be always alert, mm-hmm. to not premature joy, but okay. the possibility of joy, mm-hmm. right? That, Say more. Say- so even early after the accident... I know that my my father and I in particular have kind of a quirky humor. And I know that when the first time that the two of us laughed, we both felt a little guilty, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it was so healing to do that. Like to mm-hmm. laugh was just, oh, I still remember that. And and so so to recognize that that to be again an ambassador of joy right or Mm -hmm. to find some way Mm -hmm. to offer a laugh even at your own expense Mm -hmm. gosh that is helpful because i think oftentimes people who are grieving are treated with such incredible fragility Mm -hmm. out of deep respect yeah absolutely when what we really want is like to pop the bubble (laughs) (laughs) would you agree or Mm-hmm. Yeah, laughing is a highly underrated, underrated thing. It's. I remember last year having an incredibly stressful year yeah. um, for a variety of reasons. And I remember that summer getting to a camp, and I don't even remember what was said, but somebody <laughs> said something. And I remember just, like, laughing and not being able to stop. Mm-hmm. And realizing that it was, like, the first time. Like, I'd laughed, you know, during that year, but that, like, not being able to stop, that it was the first time that that had happened. Like, where your belly hurt. Right. Yeah. In, like, a year and how how was that like? That was. I was going to say, what yeah. was that like when you realized, mm-hmm. whoa. Right, yeah, and just incredibly healing to to yeah, just be able to laugh and and you know, nobody there knew like why my year was stressful or anything. But without recognizing that it had helped, it really did. And that's one of the things I think that we've thought about with Carl is that one of my concerns about Carl, Carl or Kachin, as I'll call him oftentimes, is that he has only his normal, as far as he can remember, is with the TBI. Mm-hmm. And when you have a TBI, you can't adjust, you know, or you can't mm-hmm. make that itch mm-hmm. go away. Mm-hmm. And that he's adapted to discomfort mm-hmm. without realizing that there is a different way. And I think that's how it oftentimes can be with grief or situational depression or mm-hmm. in, uh, or um, significant medical depression is that you forget it can be a different way. Mm-hmm. And so is there a way to be a reminder without discounting the reason for the grief or the stress or what have you, but is there a reminder that somehow or another a beacon of delight, right, or mm-hmm. beauty or because those are the moments where you see resurrection, right, mm-hmm. where you see a reminder of a reason to 
be. Mm. Yeah. As we close, anything else you want to share? You know, I think um, anger is really a righteous uh-huh. thing. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. And, and we don't hear that. No, no, no. I think we're as uncomfortable with anger as we mm-hmm. are with, with lament. But it's holy. Like, there is such a thing as, I think, righteous, holy indignation mm-hmm. and rage. And so, so that's why, you know, when I said, because of that Mighty Fortress tune, mm-hmm. death has really pissed me off, mm-hmm. that part of the part of why joy has become so instrumental is that I, I, I am angry and I will like in a mama bear kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I, I both in spite and to spite death, we laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And that, and that, that the sorrow comes in the night. Joy comes. I mean, well, right. Like exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think to, to find room and tolerance and even gratitude for anger mm-hmm. as a way of defying what's happened, like to say, this is not right. Like, this mm-hmm. is not okay. Because there's power in that. That's what Luther would say. You call a thing what it is. Um, and there's self-affirmation mm-hmm. about that, which I think is something that people who are subsumed by grief don't oftentimes have. Mm-hmm. I think also the day that I have found to be the most honest day in the church is Holy Saturday. Mm. Um, That's the day that I love as much as any because it's honest insofar as you have one foot in lament and one Mm. foot Mm -hmm. in joy, right? Mm -hmm. And if you go too far in lament, you become death. Mm. And if you go too far into the empty tomb, you're oblivious to the reality of, of pain, and so Holy Saturday holds both of those in true tension. Or as we say in our family, death is real, but life is realer. Mm. And that affirms <laughs> that both of those are, are true. Say that again. Death, death is, is real, but life, life is realer. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for, for the opportunity your and your concern so to share these sorts of questions and possibilities with with others who might need to hear what you have to say not just in this podcast but in your other brilliant ones too so thank you for the work that you do thank you for joining mental health conversations a ministry of the northeastern minnesota synod youth ministry and mental health initiative These podcasts are an educational resource for parents and ministry leaders and are intended as a first step to begin conversations on mental health. The information provided here is not complete and does not cover all issues related to mental health. These podcasts should never replace the advice of a skilled mental health professional. Always seek the advice of a mental health professional or other qualified health provider for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment if you suspect you or someone you know has a mental illness or mental health condition. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911 immediately. If you are having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-8255 to talk with a trained counselor. For more resources from the Northeastern Minnesota Synod Youth Ministry and Mental Health Initiative, visit www.nemnsynod.org slash mental health. Thank you for taking the time to invest in these conversations.